Good morning. Today's reading is from Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Oh, that was pretty weak. Good morning. Oh, that's better. That's that's much better. So it's just a joy to be with you today and a privilege to be here. And uh, Hebrews is a great book. It's a challenging book. One of my friends said last week that it's really a discouraging book from his perspective. And uh, But it is challenging, to be sure. So let's pray together. Father, as we come today, we recognize that you're the Lord and uh, we're just your people. Uh, Father, there may even be some here this morning who are not your people yet, and we pray that they might come to know Christ soon. <clears throat> and as we're here today, Father, I pray that as we open the word, that uh, you would speak clearly. Uh, Father, I'm, I'm just a, uh, a servant and uh, not always... Uh, the best one at that, and that's true of all of us. And may we be reminded, Father, to uh, seek you first and above all. So open our hearts today to your truth, transform us by your word, and we'll give you grace and peace through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, <clears throat> We're going to begin by looking at this passage. I've entitled it, The First Warning, Maintaining Your Grip on the Truth. Maintaining Your Grip on the Truth. And as we begin today, I'm going to begin a little bit lighthearted. But um, a cowboy years ago was out on a prairie, and there was not much out there. He was trying to fix breakfast. And by the time he brewed his coffee, there was no more wood around to cook his bacon and eggs. So he had an idea. He started a little prairie fire, and there wasn't much grass out there. There were, you know, a few sagebrush plants and so on. So he'd start the fire, and he would take his skillet, and he followed the fire around until his bacon and eggs were done. The problem was when his bacon and eggs were done, he was a half a mile from his coffee. He had drifted away. He had drifted away from where he had begun. And uh, <clears throat> that happens to all of us. Uh, and in the book Restart Churches, there is a, uh, a quote about the second law of thermodynamics. I know we have some engineers in the place. I did take thermodynamics and passed when I was a student at CSU. But I, w I went quickly back to civil engineering. I started as a double E and decided that I wanted to uh, work with things that I could see, so I went to structural instead, because I like to see what I'm building, not feel it. So um, one of the problems we face in churches is a sense of satisfaction 
an ungodly satisfaction that says everything is okay. And we can say this about our own lives too. Oh, everything is okay. When it is clear the church is entirely off the discipleship reservation. After all, most churches and most systems are designed for stasis. The second law of spiritual uh, dynamics, the law of entropy, comes into play here. Entropy, stated in terms of thermodynamics, is a degradation of the matter and energy in the universe to an ultimate state of inert uniformity. B, a process of degradation or running down uh, or a trend to disorder. Notice the two key phrases, a state of inert uniformity and a trend to disorder. That happens to us as Christians. We start off hot. We start off with energy. We start off with passion. We start off because Jesus Christ has deeply touched us and impacted us. But over time, it's easy to begin to drift away. And we go through those seasons. And so in uh, the passage we have today, the Lord is uh, calling us to avoid drift, to avoid the drift. When I went to Holyoke uh, and began to pastor out there, I went there to be the interim pastor. I was going to be there 12 to 18 months, and we were there eight years and eight months. And somebody said, for an engineer, you can't count. <laughs> and... and uh, we had a great time out there. But that church had gone from a, a membership of 272 to 70. And they'd gone from over 200 in attendance to 60. Over a period of 40 years, nobody even noticed. That was entropy in action. And that happens. It happens to us personally. We have the passion when we begin, but then things begin to slowly cool. So today we're going to talk about uh, uh, how to... Uh, Maintain your grip on the truth. So as we come to the great book, it's help for us, help for, helpful for us to understand the flow of the book. And uh, two weeks ago, Dan talked about Christ being the great communicator. Christ was the great communicator. And, uh, and he is. You know, they talk about Ronald Reagan being the great communicator. Ronald Reagan is just a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a very faint shadow. And Christ was the great communicator. And uh, he wasn't E.F. Hutton. He's the son of God. And when he speaks, people need to listen. So uh, Christ is a great communicator. Then next, we see that Christ was uh, superior to the angels. And uh, Stephen was talking about that last week, about Christ's greatness, how the angels are servants of Jesus Christ and of us. But... Uh, the angels don't compare to the Lord Jesus. No, no one does. Nothing does. And then in the rest of the book, we see that it talks about Christ's superior priesthood. There's much about the priesthood. But even more than that, there's a... Um, uh, he's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. Uh, he's superior to Aaron. Christ is superior. Can you just say that with me? Christ is superior. Is he better? Yes, he's not only better, he's superior, period. End of conversation. So, and then uh, the book also contains a series of warning passages. Uh, first one is here today. Warning number one, Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. And then uh, 3, 12 to 4, 3. 4, 14 to 16. 5, 11 to 6, 8. 10, 19 to 39. 12, 14 to 17, and 12, 25 to 29. So seven warning passages, one after another after another. 
and they're designed to reorient us, get us back on track. And so how do we, how do we uh, maintain our grip? We keep our grip on the truth. How do we maintain our passion? One of the things that I, I, I don't want to just fade off into the sunset. Uh, Chuck Swindoll had a friend that said, he prayed every morning, Lord, never let me forget what it was like to be lost. Because when we're lost, we know that we need something. And when we meet Christ, he's the something. He's really something. He's extraordinarily something. So we have these warning passages. And generally speaking, until we get to 10, 19 to 39, those, those passages increase in intensity. And the book was written to believers, to Hebrew believers, and who were in danger, who wanted to go back to Egypt. In a sense, if you look at the wilderness wanderings, this book kind of reflects that. The children of Israel went out of Egypt. They could hardly wait to get out of Egypt. And then when Pharaoh turned up the heat and uh, they said, you know, let my people go. And so Pharaoh did all kinds of things to the folks to make them uh, upset. Then they were saying, well, you know, Egypt isn't so bad. And then after they left, they got out in the wilderness. Oh, Egypt wasn't so bad. They forgot the slavery. They forgot all of the, the hardships. And in life, the tendency for us is to look back and say, you know, I really had it good in those days. When I came to Christ, I had the idea that now all my problems are over. Man, I'm a believer. I'm not going to have any more trouble. No, it's just the opposite. We have lots more trouble because the Lord is shaping us and molding us after Jesus Christ day by day and moment by moment. So, uh, so in the past, we're going to talk about the three tenses of salvation. One of the questions that comes up is, what does he mean by salvation in this passage? As a matter of fact, in the whole book of Hebrews. And so we're going to begin with a brief introduction to the three tenses of salvation. There is the past tense. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. In Luke chapter 7, we have Jesus going to Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner. And while he's there, this woman came in and she's weeping profusely and she wept all over Jesus' feet. She dried his feet with her hair. She anointed his feet with oil, and uh, at the end of that, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There was a point where this woman's faith in Christ delivered her from the penalty of sin. That's past tense. Second tense is the present tense. We're delivered from the power of sin. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there's a sense when the Lord uh, uh, when, the, when the Lord saves us, He gives us the ability to not sin. Now, how many of you don't sin? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not going to sit next to you because I don't want to get struck. <laughs> but but we don't have to, you know. First Corinthians 10:13. There's no temptation overtaking you, but what is but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. And that where we are tempted, he provides a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. We just don't always take the way. Uh, but uh, so the Lord has delivered us from our past, from the penalty of sin when we come to Christ. He delivers us from the power of sin. And then ultimately in heaven, he will deliver us from the presence. That's future. I'm looking forward to heaven. 
Really looking forward to heaven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, to a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're not there yet. So there's, there's past deliverance. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah. We're delivered from the power of sin when we avail ourselves of it. And then ultimately we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. But Hebrews even goes further than that. And it talks about uh, uh, there's a number of aspects of uh, salvation in Hebrews. First, when we see the word salvation in Hebrews, often it's talking about deliverance, not, uh, not eternal salvation, but deliverance from one's enemies. In Psalm 18, uh, 2 and 3, and verse 35 and 50, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So shall I be saved from my enemies. See, that's deliverance from our enemies. And that's a concept that flows through the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, the word saved in the Old Testament knew it's about 50-50. Half the time it's talking about eternal salvation. Half the time it's about deliverance from one's enemies. I haven't gone through and counted them all. There are many passages. Verse 35, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. There's that word again. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Again, deliverance. And then 35, great deliverance or salvation he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed to David and his descendants forevermore. Great deliverance. David was delivered from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He was saved. Same word. And we see that repeatedly even in the book of Hebrews. Psalm 37, 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of what? Trouble. He's their strength in time of trouble. And then salvation has a future aspect. If you look at Hebrews 1.14, which goes along with 1 Peter 1, 3-5, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Future aspect. So salvation is not just saved from sin. It's not just saved from the power of sin, but it's saved future delivered into the very presence of God in heaven. And then a third aspect is that suffering is followed by glory. When I came to Christ, oh, man, my troubles are over. No, my troubles were just beginning. But suffering is followed by glory. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. I'm not sure who's preaching that passage, uh, but it's, it's marvelous. Here, Christ is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and he suffered. And he was made perfect through suffering. I, don't, I can't comprehend that, to be honest with you. But God does the same thing in us. 
So even in, in salvation, there is suffering followed by glory. And then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a, uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I got that with Romans 12, 1 and 2, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Suffering precedes glory. And that theme runs throughout the book of, of Hebrews. So uh, we, we just need to be reminded of that, uh, and that's, that's three aspects of salvation. You know, we always want to be on the mountaintop. The view from the top of the mountain is great, but growth takes place in the valley. Growth, growth takes place in the depths. So um, And then salvation involves reigning with Christ. Hebrews 1.9, and I'm going, to, I'm going to shorten this up a bit here because I tend to get carried away. Hebrews 1.9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with gladness more than your companion. And the word companions is the Greek word metakoi, and it, it flows also through the book. And it talks about Jesus and his companions, us, those who know him. And he's anointed him with the oil of gladness above his companions. And, uh, and then, again, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Christ suffered and is glorified. We run the race. We keep our eyes on Christ. We cross the finish line. And then glory follows. My friends, it's worth serving Christ, walking with Christ, loving Christ, being his servants, being his mouthpiece, being his hands and feet. It's worth it. And we keep our eye on the prize, and the prize is the Lord Jesus. So, now the first warning. The first warning, the danger of drifting. Now, I went online on Pixabay and got a picture of a, a boat that was adrift. I don't know where this is. It probably looks like it's in the northeast, but who knows. Um, but the text tells us in Hebrews 2, on therefore... We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And the second law of spiritual thermodynamics is always at work. And we're always slowly kind of running out of steam. And we need to be re-energized regularly and daily by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. So, um, the... Uh, it's, it's just so easy uh, to drift. It's so easy to drift. And um, I'm reminded of um, one of my friends, pastor, well-known Christian, internationally known. And as he started pastoring, he said, I'm going to commit a, a, an hour a day to pray. And at the end of the year, he realized he wasn't praying at all. Because the pressures of life and the, and the push of ministry and the demands of people just invaded his life so that he didn't take time to pray. That's called drift. 
That's called drift. And um, so as we look at this text, we need to be reminded of our position in Christ. When it says, therefore, uh, that's a, a construction that basically looks back to the fact that Jesus is the great communicator. He's superior to angels. We have this, we have this Savior. We have this God who is incredible. And we have to pay attention. Therefore, since we have Christ, the Supreme One, pay attention, therefore. And then the, it says we. The next word in my text is we. The writer is identifying himself with the other people. He's not immune to uh, drift himself. Therefore, we must, and the Greek term there is a Greek term day, and you've heard me mention it before. It means divine necessity. It means something that's imperative, something that has to be done. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So this is the first horn. This is the first warning. When I was a basketball official years ago, uh, whenever there's a timeout or a halftime or a quarter break or whatever, and it's time to play basketball again, there's a first horn. And the officials were to go to the two benches and say, that's the first horn, get ready to play. you got 15 seconds to get out onto the court. And in a sense, the Lord is saying, this is the first horn. Get ready to play. Get ready to play. Get ready to walk with Christ. Get ready to serve Christ. Don't grow cool in your faith. Don't drift away. Uh, Edward G. Robinson was in a movie called Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. Uh, he was a, a, a farmer up in Minnesota. It's a great movie. It's not one of his gangster movies. It's a really, it was a really good movie. And uh, his kids, his daughter and a friend, decided that they would like to, to, to go boating. And it was raining a lot, and there was water in the farmyard, so they climbed into this tub. And they fell asleep. And while they were asleep, the water rose, and they drifted out of the barnyard onto the road and eventually into the river. And they were rescued just as they went under a bridge in a raging torrent. And that's a picture of what happens when we, when we don't pay attention, when we drift away. It may start off innocently enough, but we begin to drift. And... Uh, so the Lord says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. When I was in seminary, the seminary had done a survey of 526 plus or minus graduates who had fallen into moral failure. And they asked them, what was the cause? And without exception, every single one of them said, we began to ignore our quiet time. We began to ignore our daily time in the Word. And that's why I think the text says we need to hold on to the truth. When I came to Christ, the, the Navigator's guys who led me to the Lord got me involved in personal Bible reading day by day and uh, uh, time of Bible reading and prayer. And I still do that. I still practice that to this day. But some days, you know, we get busy. Or we're like the dog in Up. Squirrel, right? Squirrel. And our mind, oh, this past week, <clears throat> John mentioned this past week was a crazy one. It was a crazy one for us. And um, 
Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to address that a little bit more in a minute. But uh, so even when temptation comes and sin comes, I, I'm reminded of the story of uh, Saint Augustine, a bishop of Hippo, North Africa. He was a rounder. He was a woman womanizer, and he went away to Rome and was saved. And he came back to Hippo later, and this woman began to chase him or saw him, and she said, Augustine, Augustine. He ran the other way, and she chased him through the streets, and finally she was out of breath, and she stopped running. She said, Augustine, it is I, and he looked back at her, and he said, but it is no longer I. We've been changed by the power of Christ, and my friends, we have to be careful that we don't just drift away. The longer we walk with Christ, the easier it is for us to just simply go through the motions. Go through the motions. So, um, then there's warnings for the drifter. There's three of them given. And uh, the first one is in uh, Hebrews 2.2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's that salvation word again. So the word spoken by angels was certain. In Acts chapter 2, verses 52 and 53, um, we read, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, whom you now have become betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So the angels were intermediaries for God. They delivered the word of God, and their word proved to be trustworthy, reliable. And uh, so if the word spoken to angels is reliable, how, should we, how can we neglect that? Also in um, Galatians 5.19, For what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. The word of God given through angels proved to be reliable and trustworthy. So pay attention, pay attention. And then in in Luke chapter 1, Zacharias, is one of my favorite accounts, Zachariah went into the temple to offer up the incense, and while he was there, uh, the... uh, Angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a son. He said, oh, how can that be? He didn't believe him. So the angel said, you're not going to speak until the son was born. Guess what? Zechariah was deaf, deaf, excuse me, was dumb, unable to speak until, you have to be politically correct, he was unable to speak until John was born. He said his name is John, and once he did that, then his, his mouth was open and he could speak again. But God's angel's word is inviolable. So pay attention. Pay attention. And then, secondly, the word spoken by Christ is certain. Hebrews 2.3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard? So the writer of Hebrews was not an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know who he was, but he was not an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He, he received information from the witnesses. And uh, so uh, the Lord was very uh, much uh, in tune with with the Father, and his word is also inviolable. So um, 
Matthew 24, 1 and 2. As the disciples were leaving Jerusalem, they said, oh, man, look at these magnificent buildings. And Jesus said, I say to you, these buildings, not one stone will be left upon another. The, the temple of Herod took 46 years to build. It was magnificent. And when Titus, the Roman general, took Jerusalem, he said, you can burn the city, but don't burn the temple. And some Roman soldier inadvertently threw his torch into the temple, and it caught on fire and burned. And the temple was ornately adorned with gold. And when the, uh, the temple burned, all the gold melted, and it ran down into the cracks of the, between the foundation stones. And so the soldiers, being men of honor that they were, <laughs> took pikes, anything they could get, and they overturned every single stone to get the gold out that had melted and flowed down between the rocks. Jesus' word was completely fulfilled. Completely fulfilled. And, uh, and then the last one is uh, signs and wonders. Now this one I, I misnamed. It's one of those things you send the stuff off, you know, to get it put on the put in. So this should really be signs and wonders confirmed Christ. Signs and wonders confirmed Christ. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. There's four times in history where signs and wonders were the norm. One was in the Exodus from Egypt. The second one was Elijah and Elisha. They did things that were not normal. And in so doing, confirmed the word of God. The third time was during the time of Jesus and the apostles, the early church. And there's a fourth time coming in the book of Revelation uh, when the two witnesses are uh, in Jerusalem and uh, they're going to do things that are remarkable. They remind us of Elijah and Moses, though we don't know that that's who they are. But the, those are the four periods of time. But those signs and wonders confirmed. Now, let me ask you, have you ever seen someone raise a person from the dead? No, but Jesus did. After four days. And Martha, the practical Martha said, Lord, by now he stinketh. No, King James, he stinketh. He's been there for four days. <laughs> and Jesus raised him. Uh, uh, and then after he came out, I think he probably hopped out a little bit like a kangaroo. He was all bound up in clothes. And said, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Or to heal a man who was born blind. Jesus did that. He turned water to wine and, and many, many other miracles. Um, so the signs and wonders confirmed. And those seem to be the four major periods. And the Lord still does miracles, but not like he did in the first century or in the Exodus, Elijah and Elisha, at least not that I've seen. Um, so, so the Lord's saying, listen, pay attention. The word spoken by angels is certain. The word spoken by Christ is certain. The signs and wonders confirm who Christ is. Pay attention. Grip the truth. Don't, don't slip away. Don't slip away. Well, let's look at three causes of drift, and I want to look at these rather quickly. But the first is the cares of the world, Luke 29, or Luke 12, 29. If you can find Luke 29, you're doing better than I can. Luke 12, 29. Uh, another passage that fits here would be uh, Matthew 6. But Luke 12, 29. And, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. 
For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Beth received a, a Pinterest notification. How many of you are on Pinterest? A few of you. We got a Pinterest notification this week and said, well, these are things you need to hoard. Was it 20 things? Eight? 18 things you need to hoard. Toilet paper? Was it the bottom of the list? No, I'm just double, double entendre there. Uh, shoelaces. I was in Alabama when the, when the pandemic was winding and uh, really getting wound up last year. I was on my way home, and when I got home, I went to the grocery store, and there was not a, a roll of toilet paper to be found, nor milk, nor eggs. I said, oh, this can't be true. And paper towels were, were walking out the door rather rapidly. But the Lord says, you know, he'll provide. And you know what? We never once ran out of TP. Never once. Just They would come on the shelf just in the nick of time. <laughs> but uh, the Lord says, don't be anxious. But the cares of this world want to squeeze out our passion for Jesus. And then um, the second one is busyness. We get so busy. And, and our brother John alluded to that this morning. This week has been a, a crazy week for us, and this morning was a crazy morning, and just, you know, th those are those days. We had an extra hour, so we got here 15 minutes late. You know how that works. So we're going to play a little song for you. Now, this has taken us back a bit, but I want you to listen. You have to listen quickly. Uh, it's called Run, Run, Run by the Third Rail. This was done, I think, in 1967. But if you listen to the words, it sounds just about like today. And some of you may actually recognize this. So can we can we get that cranking? I hope it's the right run, run, run. There's some other ones that are pretty raunchy. Oh, this is it. Any of you remember this? At half past eight, you can't have your breakfast because you'll be late. You tie, you tie like a hangman's noose. Ain't no time to drink it. You see, you run, 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 and you run, 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 run. Stand on the corner and wait for the bus. It's late again. You start to cuss. The paper's filled with all bad news. Fat lady stands on your polish. You see, you run, 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 run. Quotations from the New York Stock Exchange. Heart attacks up two and a three quarters. Mental illness split three for one. Ulcers up one. General chaos. That's general chaos is up one quarter. The, the Great Society, unfortunately, is down five points. Down at the office hall, it's still the boss is at a funeral. And note on the door, no work today. Our chief competitor passed away. So you run, 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 run. Up in the morning at half past eight, you can't have your breakfast because you're 
that's a blast from the past. Ephesians 5.16, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as the fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. I don't know about you, but busyness can tend to drive out any place for the Lord in my life. This week was one of those kind of weeks. And uh, so we're to redeem the time. And my question is, what can you do to take away some of the pressures that you face day by day and week by week? Redeem the time. Because if we don't, we're going to drift away. And our busyness, it seems like the first thing to go is our relationship with Christ Jesus. And number three is wandering uh, lustful eyes. Psalm 51. This is David's. Um, this is David's psalm, and the, the first verse in Hebrew is actually the superscription to the chief musician, the psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is when he was confronted and said, "David, you're the man. You're the one." Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And if you drop down to verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. David had committed two sins of uh, uh, high treason, in a sense. There was no sacrifice for murder, and there was no sacrifice for adultery. <clears throat> and he pleaded for God's mercy. And the Lord spared him. However, the Lord also said, The sword will not depart from your house, and people will rise up even from your own family who will <clears throat> withstand you. So Ammon raped his sister. Then Absalom <clears throat> avenged Ammon and killed him. And then Absalom eventually tried to take the kingdom from David and almost succeeded. So everybody talks about how wonderful David and Bathsheba were. Well, the effects of that were ongoing. If you look at David's life, never a defeat until Bathsheba. And then mixed bag thereafter at the end of his life. So my friends, don't drift away. Grip the truth. Let it grip your heart. And uh, <clears throat> what causes drift in your own life? Think about it. Write down one or two things and then say, Lord, this week, help me to make changes. Give me a passion for you once again. <clears throat> when you see a railroad crossing and the lights are flashing, you see this car? <clears throat> it looks like just barely got through. <laughs> and who doesn't want to beat the railroad? On the way here today, I thought, boy, Lord, it's been quite a morning. Please don't let there be a train. And we pulled up, and here's this train of tank cars lined up. And fortunately, they were not moving. Because there have been times when we came and we sat at one place, and then we got over here, and then we had to wait as they went past here a second time. But um, when you see the warning signals, it, you should heed them. They're there for a reason. They're there for your safety. And the Lord says to us in Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, 
Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So avoid aimless drift in life. Maintain your grip on the truth. Hang on to the truth. Hang on to Christ. Hang on to what we have. Maintain your grip. The song we're going to sing in closing today, the last verse, the guy that wrote it, it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There was a man on a train humming that song one time, and a fellow passenger said, would you please stop? The fellow passenger was drunk. He said, would you please stop? And he said, why? He said, because I wrote that song. Drift is a real possibility. Protect yourself from it. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, may your word uh, impact us in new and powerful ways today. Protect us from the uh, craziness of drift. And may our lives reflect you. And we will give you great praise and great thanks for what you're going to do. Father, may our lives be meaningful to us, but especially to you and to those around us. May they see the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We pray in Christ's name.